and welcome back to the Time for Heroes podcast, now in association with the Songbird HQ. Go to the songbirdhq.com for all your musical needs, latest news, reviews and interviews with some of the best signed and unsigned bands. The Songbird HQ also deliver PR services for new talent coming through. Right, on my podcast today, I have Jack Jones of Trampoline. He's a frontman in Trampoline. He's also the guitarist and put him put him Madres with Pete Doherty. Uh, so we're going to talk. We're going to go through all your career, and then at the end, you're going to pick some heroes. So just start hmm. at the beginning, Jack. Where you where you grew up and what what life was like for a a young Jack Jones. <laughs> That's a sweet question, mate. Um, well, I I grew up in a place called Mount Pleasant in um in Swansea City, really, right in the middle of town. Um, my mum is actually from Sheffield, and my my old man is actually from Southampton. Right, and randomly. Um, randomly through some sort of mad coincidence, that uh, my mum went for a job interview in in Swansea, and the person interviewing was my dad because he was running a hospital, I think, in Swansea. And um, she she got the job, but she also got me <laughs> nice little bonus. And uh, and I'm not really sure what happened with my parents at that part part of my life but um it just so came to pass that it was mainly just me and my mum and uh, my mum ended up not going back to the north of England to have me she stayed in Swans I think there was uh I'm not exactly sure why she wasn't uh allowed back home really it's kind of another unknown quantity unknown part of the family but um uh-huh. so she she was bringing me up in Swansea on her own without any friends or anything like that and um, but I can remember, you know, it was quite a, it, although it was quite um, I imagine looking back now, I it was quite uh, lonely and sad in lots of ways for her. Um, I always felt pretty, pretty loved and like we were a good team, you know. And then um, she worked in the local pub, the Brunswick, and I used to hide underneath the uh, hide under the. T- under the bar, and she used to like nick crisps off the top shelf and chuck them down to me, and mm. these funny memories of of growing up in Swansea. And then my old man uh, came to visit me. I think when I was like three or something. That's when my sister sister came around, and um, and then after my sister born, um, we spent a bit of time as a family I think for the first time mm-hmm. but um, I got quite badly ill I had like a bone tumour in my leg I think right. it was a bit of a strain on the family and no one was really sure what was going to happen to me and then uh, but I managed to survive it but I think my parents didn't really get through it very well and after they split up this that time my um, mum took me to live in Australia all right so uh, yeah, so her her um her uncle, her brother, sorry, my uncle is Australian and um no he's not Australian, he's he's a doctor actually, who um decided to go and live in Australia. And so um when I think that relationship broke down for the second time with my mum, I think that she decided to up sticks, if you will, and yeah. just just lived with him. We were just living with him. I wasn't going. To, I wasn't going to school or anything. I was just like, you know, looking at all the mad animals, like the, these mad like, <laughs> frogs the size of rabbits, and you know, crocodiles and all this mad stuff. Um, right. And then, uh, as as we as we carry on through my childhood, I um, it's very. Uh, Kind of highlighted version. I'm sure I'm missing out loads and loads of wrong stuff, but um, 
And then eventually my mum wanted to come back to Swansea for some reason. And then I sort of came back when I was maybe nine or something like that, 10, and started going to school. And um, went to an English-speaking Welsh school mm -hmm. in um, in uh, pretty much about stone's throw from our house. And, um, yeah, and I had a pretty, pretty bad time in school. I was pretty much of a nightmare child as uh, for any teacher. But I troublemaker. expelled a few times. Good on you. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, if it wasn't for me getting expelled, I wouldn't have met Wayne, you know, who ended up being the bass player trampoline. But um, the last time I got expelled, I was jumping on my art teacher's car. She kicked me out of class for not drawing, uh, for refusing to draw Van Gogh's sunflowers. And when she kicked me out, I went round the front and her car, she used to keep her car outside the classroom. So I was just put all my clothes off and started jumping on her car from outside so she can see and was screaming at, try and make me draw those fucking sunglasses, sunflowers now, <laughs> you son of a bitch, or something I would say. Was, uh, was and, there uh, any yeah. kind of, was there any diagnosis, eh, like anything like ADHD or anything like that then? I've, I've never been, I've never had a test or anything like that. I was probably not so much around when I was in school, so, I was, but um, a lot of people have said things like that to me now, like if I was in school now, or you know, five ten years ago. Yeah. That I was di I was diagnosed with dyslexia. Right. So I I was you know I physically couldn't read and write at all. Like yeah. I, I was uh, I was in but like lot, the same class. Uh, probably stem for that. Then a lot of your frustrations probably came out. In that other way, then, because that's kind yeah. of the same. My, my little boy, he's he was diagnosed with autism, and like all the way through primary mm. school, he was just in bother and on behaviour sheets and stuff like that until he was diagnosed and there was mere understanding. Then, mm. yeah, that's that's so true. What I didn't, my my cousin's got autism as well. He's a uh, he's quite extreme with it he's non-verbal and um it's uh but like um so I, I know a little bit of that life and that that can be so tough man so so tough yeah i mean sometimes i wish mine was non-verbal because see some of the cheek gives me <laughs> <laughs> good lad <laughs> so, so obviously then you you are you met Wayne, didn't you, while you was playing football? Is that correct? Yeah, so what happened was I was expelled from school and I didn't have I did have um correspondence with my dad as I was growing up. Um it was probably I mean he's probably got a different point of view out of it to me, but um it was fractured, I suppose, our relationship. But um it still, I still, we still meant a lot to each other, mm -hmm. and um, and I think when he did, I got you know kicked out of school. He um, it all happened quite similar times actually because I was playing football for Swansea, kind of under fifteen, so I was fourteen, about fourteen years old, and that was kind of where my energies were, and um. And what had happened was I'd got um, kicked out of Swansea, not kicked out, let go kind of thing. Uh -huh. They decided that they didn't want to take me on for the next season. So that had happened. And then I got expelled. And um, my that that year, that Christmas, I um, looked under the Christmas tree and it was like this weird-shaped uh, triangle thing under it. And um, he said, I heard school isn't going so well maybe time to think of an alternative career. <laughs> and it was from my old man. I couldn't really right. remember any presents from my old man, really, that as far as I can remember now. But um, I opened it and it was a guitar. And I was like, what the fuck has he got me one of these for? I mean, <laughs> this guitar playing was so alien to anyone in my school. It was uh -huh. like, we're all, they're all DJs, you know, all like listening to dance music and 
you know, taking pills on the weekend, even when they were like 14. It was like that kind of school. Yeah, um, yeah. It was rough. And um, anyway, I didn't really know what the hell to do with it. But coincidentally, what happened was that because I'd been let go of Swansea, I'd, um, I was scouted by a League of Wales football team, so called Fletley Town. And uh, so it's about half an hour in, like, you know, it's an off, it's not far from Swansea. Like, people from um, Fletley don't identify as being Swansea mm-hmm. people at all. They're, they're their own people, and, you know, their nicknames are, are Turks. But it's kind of like a... Uh, a a biggish town not far from the Swansea Valleys kind of kind of thing and um, the uh, I went to train in there the first first training session and uh, I was told to pair up with someone and I was looking around the team and I saw there was this other guy who wasn't paired up and he had like the heaviest body I've ever seen, like the hairiest legs in the world. And I was so pubeless, I was so pre-pubescent, I was like so embarrassed. I thought, well, if I start hanging out with this guy, I might start, you know, developing. So <laughs> I went, I walked straight up to him and asked him if he'd be my partner. And he was like, who are you? All right, fair enough. He did, I got kicked out of school, so he thought I was interesting. And then um, randomly, he was very different to a lot of football boys. Mm-hmm. So a lot of football boys are like listening to R and B and Usher and all this stuff, and um, he was listening to loads of punk, like uh, loads of punk, um, the Clash and all this stuff that was just like I never heard of it, yeah, never yeah. heard, of it. never heard of any of it, and um, and then he said, "Oh, I'm I'm in a band." Um, would you want to join my band? You know, we got band practice on a Saturday, and I had the guitar in the house, but I'd never touched it in my life <laughs> because I was so desperate to be his friend. I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I play guitar. I'm in a band, and uh, I, I'll be. I'd, I'd love to come down." And it wasn't really much of a band, to be honest. He just had him and his other mate who played guitar, and they were just kind of jamming in the front room, uh-huh. and uh, they wanted me to learn Guns and Roses. Um, Sweet child of mine, and I said, "Yeah, easy." I'd never touched a guitar. I never <laughs> touched a guitar. I got, I got home. I went, went to HMV, and nicked Guns and Roses CD. I, I couldn't stop laughing. I'd never even seen a, never heard of Guns and Roses. Never seen it. Thought they all looked like a bunch of pirates. You know what I mean? I thought it was so hysterical. Yeah, yeah. And uh, tried learning it. My fingers nearly fell off. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? I'm never going to be able to play this. So I just rocked up at the thing. He, I couldn't play guitar at all, but um, he didn't mind. It must, then, it must have was, seen something, hadn't you? Our relationship. Yeah. It kind of went on from there, I suppose. Right. Obviously, when the band kind of took off, or I don't know if the band, I don't know if it was before the band took off, he's moved to London. Yeah. Well, so, so I mean, that, yeah. that's a big deal, obviously. Moving yeah. up the sticks and moving out there. So how? What was his kind of decision behind that? Was it? Did you feel kind of constricted where you were? It's a good. It's a, it's a good question, man. Um, the well, what happened was me and Wayne were just messing about. I suppose that was the the beginning of what trampoline would become. But um, we didn't have a. We we desperately wanted a drummer. We loved. Like uh, um, the idea of being a three-piece, you know, we like we love Nirvana, and we were really into looking back at kind of bands and finding this stuff. So I thought it'd be cool. And I went to we I went to some uh, a college, Gosinan College, and met Kyle, who was Mister Williams, and he was in another band because Kyle comes from a you wouldn't believe it, but he comes from a real classical background. Uh-huh. He plays like violin, piano, and drums is the last thing he learned how to play. And um, I, I don't, I still don't know why, because he was in a band with lots of people he'd known for a lot, a long time, and seemed quite comfortable. But after um, in after college, I said, I, well, before college even ended, I said, look, man, I'm going to be in a band. I'm going to make it my life. Um. You can't be in all these other bands. There's just too much stuff going on for you. You need to 
focus on one thing and you know I'm going to London and I'm, I'm going to make it and I was, I was off my head to be honest so so driven and so uh, single minded uh-huh. and um, he said I was really surprised but he, he decided to come with me and really? um, and at the time in Swansea there was quite a lot of like emo music uh-huh. and um it wasn't at all like the music that I wanted to play. So it was really hard for us to get a gig, and believe it or not. We were like um, into more British sounding rock and roll, like the Libertines and mm-hmm. Oasis and like not, not, we were, we, we weren't really into rapping either. Like a lot of our mates were, you know, it was yeah. more like uh, lots of, I suppose in school, the biggest star was Eminem when I was growing up. And, um, we uh we were into kind of just different things to what the what the kind of music scene was at the um mm-hmm. at the time and and I felt like not not just that not just the fact that it wasn't um every no there was no none of the music that we wanted to play there was no kind of like avenue for us to kind of be who we were or you know and no one had no one liked us we were obviously pretty shit at the beginning as well which didn't help <laughs> but um. You know the uh, the uh, what am I trying to say? There was no. It was clear to me, even at that age, there was no industry or no. There was no footprint for me to follow. Like I couldn't. Yeah. Find any way. I didn't know anyone who made it in a band from Swansea. Like, mm-hmm. like literally, I couldn't. The last person I knew who had any sort of um, music in the charts. It was from Swansea. It was bad. A band called Badfinger who were around in the sixties. Right. Yeah, I know. And um, and before that, any the only other person I knew from Swansea who made a name for himself was Dylan Thomas. So it was like, and these were like, you know, sixty years ago, seventy years ago. So yeah, I just felt like the if we had it, if we if we wanted to make it or try and make being a musician and being in a band, our job, which is all I wanted. Um, we needed to find more kind of people who, who, had, who had that, that as their life. Yeah. And so the plan was, um, we moved to London. So we were probably about 18, I think. And when all our friends were going to university, Mm-hmm. So we went to London and we kind of got this flat. We stayed, you know, with my auntie and uncle for a bit, just lived in a loft, the three of us in the, in the same bed. And then we got this basement flat and then, um, which was full of damp. It was awful, to be honest. But we turned the living room into a practice room and we had this idea that um, it would be like Andy Warhol's factory, you know. We, uh, we turned. We didn't allow internet in the flat, which is just, just. We did so many stupid things, man. It was just like <laughs> ridiculously stupid, and um, and we just made it our lives. But you know, I said to the boys that um, uh, you know, we got there. I think it was September. We moved in. I said, "Oh, we'll be signed by Christmas." Um. Fucking hell, by Christmas, we barely just got jobs to be able to afford the rent, you know? It was like <laughs> like 12, 10 years later before we got signed, really, or at least eight. And then... Yeah, and then what happened was more and more... Then, hadn't you? Because, uh, like, when the Libertines were at, at the beginning, everybody was just getting record deals. And kind of... Yeah. Probably the time you got there, that was the tail end there. Yeah, it probably would have been. So it would have been about two thousand and eleven, I think that yeah. would have been. Yeah. So um yeah, it was difficult and we um I mean it was a difficult too because no one knew at the time social media would become such a big thing, I think. Mm. It was kind of before that. Cause like if we had documented our journey, say, for like when we were living in that flat, it would have been the best content in the world. You know, we were fucking yeah, mental. Yeah, amazing. Three, three mentalists. <laughs> and what happened was 
everyone from Swansea heard about our flat, see, and people just wanted to get out like we did. So it was, um, people would turn up. Like, so not before long, there was like 10 people living in a three-bed The flat, Welsh like, Embassy. Yeah, it was exactly. It was like yeah. the Welsh refugee camp. <laughs> where my my mate Moley turned up with a Tesco carrier bag and two bomb two two bags of MDMA. And he was like, <laughs> right. And I got my he had his favourite Joy Division um Parker jacket on. He was like, right, where's my room? I was like, mate, you're not coming in yet. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't leave for about four years. Yeah. In fact, he met his missus actually not far from her. And they're married now. Right. That, um, oh, that's class, man. Yeah. Sure. The um yeah. Sorry, so obviously, obviously moving to London then and and being as you said, you were a fan of the Libertines. How long was it before you you bumped into Peter? Because uh, I believe you met him I believe you met him while we were doing poetry or something, is that right? Yeah, it's a straight so, do you know what I think what we did is we bought a ticket by moving to London, we bought a ticket to the ride, do you know what I mean? And it was like yeah. We got we got to grow up because you know I don't think it's it's hard to grow up unless you leave home you know, and I think that's the biggest part. But then when you buy a ticket, as I said, things can happen. You never know what's going to happen, and randomly things happened. Uh, so random, and the, the you couldn't plan the shit that's happened at all. It's just so random. The first time, the first actually time. I met Carl first, Carl Barat, which is the random story, randomest story in the world. Uh-huh. That um, Libertines went together, and um, we were driving our van around North London, and like it broke down our van. Uh-huh. We were trying to change a tire on the side of the road in Muswell Hill. We didn't have a fucking clue what we were doing, and some guy tapped me on the shoulder and asked me if I needed that needed a hand, and it was Carl Barat. Do we see about a mechanic? No, he didn't have a clue what he's doing either. <laughs> yeah. He just thought we were looked like an interesting bunch of nutters, I think. But like randomly, that had nothing to do with me meeting Peter as well. So I think Carl was trying to get get his own. He's at a, at a, an interesting point in his career, probably. Like his, he'd just done his solo albums, and I don't think I don't know if much was really going on. Mm-hmm. And as time. What happened with us? I started roadieing for a band. I'm trying to get, trying to say this in the most convoluted, at less, least convoluted way. Uh, I started roadieing for a band who, um, a band, an Irish band called The Stripes. Stripes. Yeah, no were, weren't there. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And they were like getting really massive. And I was fixing their guitars and driving them around. It was just bizarre. And they'd hired, um, a guy called Roger Sargent to take their photos. Yeah, and, famous guy. And famous he was, guy in the Libertine story. Exactly, yeah. So famous photographer like Oasis, Libertines, yeah. you name it, Amy Winehouse. And um, so it was backstage and he was. they were trying to get in the enemy, I think, this band, so they got him in to take the photos. And um, he saw me and he thought I was, he thought I was trying to nick, nick the guitars. <laughs> obviously I look like a fucking scally from the back streets of Swansea don't I and, and he was um, I was like what are you doing I was like I'm fixing the guitar so these Irish bastards can play them properly and then uh, <laughs> and then he uh, he said oh right fair enough and um, he asked if he could take my photo because he thought it looked interesting mm-hmm. and um, and then I said oh I met Carl you know, blah de blah. So you know, he didn't. I didn't seem like too much of an alien to him. And then, uh, just so happened, we had a bit of a friendship then, me and Roger. Our friendship kind of had. He, I sent him. I told him about the band where we were living, and he thought that it was all really fascinating. Uh-huh. And he said, "Oh, I'd like to make." He'd he'd been doing photography, but he just started making music videos. And he said, "Oh, I want to make some music videos for you." And um. And during this time, he'd introduced me to a, a man called Tony Lincoln. He'd sent my photos to Tony Lincoln and, and uh-huh. asked if, you know, said, what do you think of this guy? And Tony Lincoln had been like the Libertines PR, Pete's PR for years and years and years and years. 
mm-hmm. quite like a well, a very respected kind of industry dude. And um, um, and then so what happened is Roger started uh, take, making these videos, and I'd sent some music to Tony and sent him some of my poems, mm-hmm. and I'd never, I'd never thought about using the poems and the songs together before in a, in a I thought the poetry was something else and the songs were something else I hadn't really clocked the idea of having a band that had like spoken word as spoken word as well as indie kind of rock for it if you will for another word uh-huh. and he kind of pushed made me you know push that idea on me and said it was he thought it was good and got me to do some poetry videos as well as the band videos. Right. And so Roger was making these videos and it's a random, this is the Tony hadn't uh, spoken to Peter for years. No one had spoken to him for a while. And um, the Libertines announced they were getting back together. Uh-huh. And, uh, and um, they were doing a secret show at the Dublin Castle. And uh, Roger invited me down just to just to see the gig and just you know whatever. And uh, I was sitting on a curb outside the Dublin Castle, and someone tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned round and it was Pete, and he started narrating all my poems to me. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, he started narrating a poem I got called um, "Health and Wellbeing" at Wood Green Job Centre. It was like he was like fat ones, thin ones, clever ones, thick ones, black ones, white ones, some looking shite ones, some like green ones, some in between ones, some looking nice ones, some dead mean ones. And uh, I was like a bit like this is totally surreal, like completely surreal. And what happened was um, because of Roger's connection, Roger had started making videos for the Libertines as well as as the band. And because they'd all come out, Pete's like YouTube algorithm had Roger Sargent videos in it. Uh-huh. So it was just total fluke that he'd seen all of the poetry videos that Roger had made. And they all had like, they only had like 185 views, these videos. But like 182 of them were all Peter. <laughs> Watching them on repeat. <laughs> and then um, we just kind of, from that moment, it's, it's, it's hard to really to describe how our friendship kind of, it just went from naught to a thousand. Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard you describe him as uh, like a brother, and mm. that I mean that as whenever you you see the two years together, you do get that. Yeah, they get that That's vibe. Um, how yeah. how does Carol get on with that? That must be a bit. Um, he must find that a bit hard. I think he does. I think <laughs> he does. Yeah, I think he I finds it strange. Yeah, but then when you see videos, I mean, I watched a video that came up on my Facebook. He's, I don't know where he's were backstage, yourselves in the Libertines, and Peter's dog milling around. Yeah, um, he's all singing. A lot. He's all he's all look like a big family together, the, the two bands. Yeah, that's what that's the way it has gone now. It's like, um. We, I don't know, there's some sort of, I don't know, I think like, although, you know, of course, Trampoline are nowhere near the size of the Libertines, they, they can see a lot of their younger selves in us. Yeah. And I think that's what happened when I met Peter too, and that's why he felt like a bigger brother to me. It was like, um, we had the same spirit. <laughs> yeah. It was like, we could... um you know, it was we were very close to going off the rails. Very, very ambitious at the same time, and um, yeah. Now it's like there's kind of like a, a nice kind of blend between the two bands now. Because when Trampoline are playing and we're supporting the Libertines, it's like it's. Uh, there's n- there's no kind of like blurred line between me being Peter's yeah. guitarist and, and all that, anything like that. So it's uh, there. I suppose like as well. I suppose as well with with Carl knowing that knowing that you're a bit and knowing 
how much a good influence you are in Pete. Mm. It probably it probably sets his mind at rest, and he's able to go and do other things. Because I mean, I've been, he's just opened a nightclub. I mean, he's massive, isn't he, in Margate? So yeah, uh, he's he's obviously got his own stuff going on. So knowing that there's other people looking out for Peter must help with that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that I think that yeah, because you know it's especially now in Peter's life, you know, when he's he's trying to you know not drink and trying to get you know survive. Yeah, and he's doing lesson, He's he's doing really well. He's for yeah. everything I've seen him. He's looking at a picture of health. Yeah, he's mate. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what he's done, man. Think about where he's, where he has been, and to where he is now. It's just it's a miracle. Like it's mad. I mean, it, it's like I don't know. I have. I don't. Think, I think you always think, don't you, when you mates, you know, when you got a friend who's like you feel like in a dark place, you always want to help them. I think everyone felt has felt like that at some stage with Peter, mm-hmm. and um. Although he's, you know, saying that, he, even though he, he always seemed very capable, very in control in lots of ways. Yeah. But, um, there was no way you could... Um, I didn't think he was ever going to stop, you know. But uh, he somehow found a way. Yeah. He somehow found a way. It's amazing. And it, it's nice that we don't see him in the front pages of papers anymore. It was like that. The times were horrible. Because it's just, yeah. I mean, the sun, you know what I mean? The, the sun was yeah. paper every day on the back of him, and it's, yeah. it's been horrible. Oi, oi, you wonderful people out there. You're listening to the Time for Heroes podcast in association with the Songbird HQ. Bosh, get all over it. We spoke about Peter uh, and the relationship with the Libertines and stuff like that. Um, let's talk a bit about trampoline though um, obviously you've had three albums plus a live album plus a kind of compilation type album with all your pocket pocket albums so yeah. I mean basically in six years or something really from 2017 up until now you, you've released quite a bit of music and poetry mm. obviously so how do you feel the the music has evolved for, for 2017 up until now. Wow. Well, when we were, when we first began, we didn't even have a computer. You know what I mean? We were like so retro, like, we were like, well, not retro. We were, we were so against technology. So like we were literally a band with um, a guitar, drums and, bass that was it you know what i mean so we 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 played every day like that all the time like the swansea to hornsey and the comp the the, the compilation album that you mentioned the pick a pocket or two album it's, it's kind of it's kind of like almost um like secretly become the second album without even you know meaning yeah. to but We'd recorded all these, all those songs at the same time. So it was like, um, uh, we literally had no, no, um, studio time. We had no, like, produ- producer, just me and a guy called, um, Josh Green, who'd only just started really. And he was working at Conk Studios. So we, yeah, we literally had, right, so what we had was we had a, my mate working in Conk, and if there was a band who didn't turn up, like uh, like Franz Ferdinand or something, uh-huh. it, it, uh, for, from in, to, to go, he'd ring us up and say, oh, they haven't turned up today, there's some downtime in the studio. So we'd have to go there, set up all our equipment, play and record, and you know, get everything done. We had to be so good because we had no time. So, how that's changed, the band has changed 
um and i was i was living in a vat eventually after our flat kind of completely capitulated and was just unlivable and you know we had rabbits in there we had fucking kyle fell through the roof you know it was like it was like <laughs> it became like you know literally inhospitable i went to live in a the boys both moved in with girlfriends and I was living in a van at the time. But I was still like, I don't even know if I can say this, but I was living in a van, but I was still having like, um, so when I, whenever I got my benefits, I didn't have to buy it, spend it on rent because I was living in a car. So I used my benefits to, to pay for the album. Right. It was like a... That's, that's brilliant. No, just tell you. It must have been brilliant at the time having to spunk all your money on, on that, but it just yeah. shows how driven you were. Yeah, I know. I can't look back now and I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. But I um and then so I suppose the sounds changed and and then after that after that's a really intense period, Kyle left the band, see. And um what that was, changed. What was a the, lot. the reasons behind that? Was there any bad feeling then or you know, now I look back at it and I, I can't even figure out why it happened. Because um, obviously looking at the band now, it just it feels right with the three, is it? it yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, that's just exactly how it feels. I mean, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I mean, I think that it was a difficult time. Basically the communication between him and Wayne had completely broken down. Wayne wanted to do things a, a different way, basically, to, to how Kyle wanted to do things. And um, he was married. Kyle got married quite early, mm. young. And um, and I, I'm not saying at all that that's what um, separated... Uh, were him and Wayne, but uh, for some reason it just seemed like there there wasn't a way that um they could really work together anymore, and so I think Kyle made it an easy easier for me by just saying he's he was going to leave, right? So um and uh and it was bizarre because we'd been. We were probably, we've been together, when would this have been? So we've probably been been together at least 10 years by now. Right. By the time that first album came out, since we were 14, you know, so it was like, um, the, and the, I don't know, thinking about it, it's quite, quite difficult, quite emotional, because I can't really end, there was no, from what I, can, I can't even remember an argument. It was just like... Yeah, I mean, sometimes people just kind of drift apart. And as, if, as you say, if Kyle got married and maybe he's a bit more growing up and thinking about things in a different aspect, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So they kind of grew apart, so to speak. Yeah, and I think that... I think that basically kind of maybe what happened. Yeah, and... And then... It, we struggled then. We really struggled for, for years and years because we'd been like a little unit. And although you would say like I was primarily the songwriter in the band, you know, all these songs I wrote first, it was Wayne and Kyle would spend hours coming up with their parts, you know. And um and when we got we got our mate from Swansea Rob, he was he was he was brilliant, he was such a good mate. And he, you know, he, he was try, he's coming in to kind of do all Kyle's work, all Kyle's stuff. And um, it was strange because Kyle left before the album came out. Mm-hmm. So he never got to experience what it was like for, he, for us to even have, you know, five people watching the band, let alone have 500 people watching the band. Uh-huh. So um, Rob came in and, and for for years, and during this period, I got I think after the album came out, I I kind of got a bit, you know, I was so proud of it, and I thought it was so great. And but it it did nothing, 
you know what I mean? It, like the label we were with at the time didn't even forgot to put the barcode on the album, so we didn't even know how many we'd sold. Fuck's sake. <laughs> and like, so I was feeling pretty much like down in the dumps. I'd like alienated by the whole industry, and that was I hadn't drunk at all in my life. I started drinking then. Right. I haven't drunk for nearly four years now, but um, again, but I and I I hadn't drunk for the first three, four years or whatever. I'd been friends with Peter, or maybe first two or something actually. But um, so I kind of got a bit jaded with everything. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to keep the band going at all. And um, uh, Rob, I mean, we were just pe- playing. We would go around. Playing, um, playing that first album that kind of, after it came out, like a few months went by and like it kind of like sort of sort of started to catch fire a little bit, like a bit of the, the name of the album. So we were kind of like playing a lot of bigger shows and and stuff like that. But I still, for some reason, felt like a failure to me. Right. And uh, um, and then. So after a few years of realizing we could carry on doing what we were doing for ages, or we could uh, try and write some new music, that was when things got a bit more difficult with Rob, because we hadn't, you know, written any new music together, and it didn't seem like the the idea, the songs are really connecting. Just the blah de blah didn't happen, and then. Uh, it's a, it's a bit of a nightmare situation again but like poor old Rob who was uh, I think he went on all the day and then we were in this booked into the studio and Wayne got um, someone else to come in and drum while he was in the studio and uh, and then uh, Wayne kind of fell in love with him and uh, this is a guy called Jay who'd been drumming for Carl yeah the Jackals yeah, and he was brilliant. And we really, at the beginning, we had like this fiery burst of energy. And um, that was where we did the Love No Less and the Queen album, really. Uh-huh. But during this time, I had always been writing songs and I'd met a producer called Mike Moore. who was actually Liam Gallagher's guitarist, believe it or not. Right. And uh, he'd done stuff with Baxter Jury and he was a brilliant songwriter. So we had plans for me to make a kind of solo record. Mm-hmm. So we were experimenting with sounds and different ways to what I would usually do because that were not constricted to a band format. But then when we came back to make the band, decided to keep the band going, we used some of these songs and we kind of put the band in them. So they had these really unique sounds. And we right. thought it was like kind of a band, a kind of a solo kind of, Spoken word, they're just all of a sudden trampoline was like an umbrella for so many different sounds. And then, um, what happened? And then after that, we COVID happened, so we couldn't really tour the album we just made. And things with Jay kind of, were, I don't know, it was we're still close now with Jay and, um. I think that uh, he, it never felt like his band, really. You know, yeah. He'd come in and uh, and it was very clear that he wanted something that we could call his own. And so he'd started a new band and it felt like that was where he wanted to put his energy and that was totally fair enough. And the idea of Kyle coming back to the band, which just seemed like such an alien idea, man. We hadn't spoken to him for like six years and, I remember we were playing a gig in Swansea and uh, um, maybe Annie Cardiff actually. And I looked out in the crowd and I saw someone going so mental. I thought, who is that mad person? Like, they are mad. And like, as the kind of mist descended, I realized it was Kyle. And he's like moshing to his own band and his own songs. And I thought, this is, this is, this is the, the, someone with this passion for the music should be in the band, is what I thought. And um, we started to meet up and started to go for walks and um, started to see. And he also sent me a video of him playing in a pub in Clashley. And he was like playing trampoline songs in a pub. And I just, I just found it, um, 
so touching and moving. And uh, then we just started talking and I was like, well, ma'am, it's yours if you want to come back. And then he took some time, I think, and, you know, he's got a kid now that he's bringing up. And um, he decided he wanted to get back on the horse. And since he's come back, the whole band has just fallen back in love with each other. And it's just felt like the beginning of the band again. And then we've made this album, this new yeah. album together. And it, just, it, does, it, it feels right, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what we described. Isn't, I can't think of any complex analogy apart from it just feels right. Yeah, it just feels right. And it's the way it should be and the way it should always have been, really. Obviously, with the, the new album, and at the start, you mentioned kind of the bands you were into, like obviously, we're into British based bands. On yeah. this new album, there's a couple of songs that, that have got kind of Britpop type sound to them. There's saying, mm. like, she sought me out. Every yeah. time I put that on, no matter, even though I know I'm putting trampoline on, at the start, it sounds like Ash, Bum Baby Bum. It does, yeah. It, it, it tracks me every time. And yeah, then there's really, another really, song, really. I think I think the song after that um, has got a bit kind of blue tones vibe as well. Yeah. Someone so, else mentioned the blue tones the other day. I love the blue tones. Yeah, so obviously, did that come into it? Like the, the kind of Britpop kind of sound? Did it, was there any... Meaning to that? Yeah. Did you did you mean to kind of go that sort of sound? I don't know. I mean, I think I don't know if we meant meant to. I mean, I love Ash. I love Blue Tones. I mean, I don't know the Blue Tones extensively. I just know you know. Da, 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 da. You don't have to have that solution. You don't have. To have yeah, yeah. All this of it. I'm coming home. That's it, isn't it? But um, yeah, like, Ash, like you know. Yeah, yeah, that's the one, yeah. Um the uh I mean we we play guitars primarily, so there's there's always an element of that. I mean we are nineties kids, we're all born in the nineties, so it's like uh it's probably in our DNA in some way, you know. And it's yeah. uh and uh uh so it wasn't a conscious decision, but it it's just part of our DNA, I think. And we loved Ash, too. You know, we... we Some of those songs, like, uh, are brilliant, like Shining Light, or, and like you said, some of the harder ones, or Girl From Mars, that's one of the... One yeah. of the best, like, pop rock song things ever, I think, you know? I love him. I like his Instagram, too, actually. He's cool. He seems like a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was listening to a podcast. I didn't realise one of them. I think it's... Uh... Is it the bass player? I think he stays here. He stays up in Scotland now. Oh, really? Yeah, so I've tried to, find, tried to reach out and get him on the podcast at some point. That'd um, be great, yeah. Uh, well, Alan, McGee, Alan McGee must know him. He knows everyone, doesn't he? Yeah, but I mean, I've got all these contacts to Alan McGee and I still kind of get a hold of him. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a lone wolf, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Once I get off the podcast, I've got a, I've got a story to tell you about Jack Jones. Anyway, she trying to find you. It was one of the hardest things um, to try. And tell you. I'll tell you that. Off, I love off it, night. mate. I love it. Um, so before we touch on your heroes, obviously, just last year you headlined the uh, Swansea Arena, mm. the opening that. So. How did that feel, like playing like a massive gig like that in your hometown? How how was that for you? That was uh, I probably uh, I, do you know what? I haven't even no one's asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> so strange. Uh, well, for a start, when they first asked me, I couldn't believe that there was an arena in Swansea. I mean, couldn't believe there's enough people here to have one, but. Um, the, uh, I suppose it was like when they first asked, I was like, okay, that's, I mean, that must mean that we've, people know who we are, like, or something, you know, it was like a slight vindication, but, uh -huh. and I think it was, oh, sorry, mate, my battery on 20% there. Oh, should be all right to get through, shouldn't I? 
Yeah, well, push on. Yeah, the um, I might I'll go and find a charger. Um, but um, the uh, I was like, it's funny because I was I was touched the the thought that they wanted Swansea band to open it is brilliant because you know a lot of people from Swansea aren't, I don't even think them was that thoughtful. They'll be like, oh, we got an arena. Let's try and get Tom Jones down there. So, but it was um super super bad man like. We, it was our decision to make tickets a fiver because we thought we just want to sell this. We just wanted to go mental in there. And so, you know, when it was like two and a half thousand gone, they were like, <laughs> we knew it was going to be a wild night. And so, uh, see the tickets being a fiver, see the yeah. the people, obviously, you get a song or a poem, artwork of youth. Oh my God, uh, yeah. Which kind of, uh, what, what would I say? It name checks all these people for your early days at school. So yeah. did, they, did these guys need to pay a fiver, or did they get in for free because they were part of it? <laughs> I made them pay, mate. Of course. Yeah. And how is there, there fifteen minutes of it? Do you know what? I've had some so many see funny that poem. I was shitting myself because I was like, you know, a lot of people from Swansea probably don't care. They probably never listen to my music, but they probably, half of those people don't probably don't know they're in a poem. Like you know. <laughs> but then uh but then um some of them do and some of them like some of them commented on the youtube video like fuck me i remember jonesy i remember that you know it's like <laughs> and they could all hear their names over the tannoy and they're all you can you can hear we could hear them all screaming like ah you fucking bastard you can't say my name oh that's so funny remember when that happened you know I mean, it was just <laughs> like it was um it was a funny old thing um yeah, that's been our walk-on track for and all the time until recently. We just put got to do more, got to be more. But the yeah, no, the playing it was surreal, and to look out and see that many people, and to um, you know, when we first started rehearsing in Swansea, our rehearsal space was like twenty yards from the arena. Right. So it was like all the songs that were kind of beginning in that rehearsal room, like, you know, 10 years before, were now being used to open the arena. So it was like a weird serendipity and uh, it, a bit of it's brilliant. It's kind of like the the closing of a chapter and then, like, yeah. the new album comes out and that's the beginning of Trampoline's next adventures, really. Yeah, it does feel like that completely, yeah. Um. I was obviously throughout your career you supported Libertines, um, Peter, the William Gallagher quite a bit. But one that I seen there was Jamie Webster. You supported Jamie Webster in twenty twenty two. The reason I sat the last guy I had on the podcast was Jack Federaz, who supported you in Glasgow. And he said he mentioned that he support they supported Jamie Webster as well. And he said that was probably one of his hardest gigs. Hmm. No, but no anything to do with Jamie Webster, but he said the crowd just all the way through it, just chanting fuck the Tories constantly. So <laughs> how how is that for you? Was the crowd the same with that? Well, we were we did he got us on in Cardiff. So we were a bit more we were a bit luckier because the crowd knew us a bit, you know. And um so they were shouting, they were shouting, you jack bastard, like they always do. <laughs> and then um, what I did, though, before we went on, I had, I knew the, about the fuck the Tories thing. And I'd seen Jamie a little bit. And I had this idea about writing a poem called Fuck the Tories. Right. So before we went on, I went out on my own and re- read this poem. And it was like, uh, it's hard for me to remember it now. Like champagne for them, nothing for you. Uh, it's always just the same old story. So let's do it together. Let's. And everyone started going, fuck the Tories. And then I do another verse and I go, let's do it together. Let's. So everyone was going fucking mental, right? By the time I'd said this song and built it up. And then we came on, we played really hard set. And um, there's loads of banter with Swansea just beating Cardiff as well. For the third time, so I was just going like three in a row, three in a row, and the band that was off the fucking chart there, you know, it was like beer flying around. And I couldn't believe the. To be fair, you know, I can understand 
why that lad would say from the Raz would say that uh, it was an odd gig because that uh, the crowd is insane. It's madder than a Levitine's crowd, madder than a Liam crowd. It's like they are football mental, and they're all Liverpool fans. You know what I mean? They're all mad mm-hmm. Liverpool fans who um they're just desperate to shout fuck the Tories for an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't mind just spending an hour and a half shouting that as well. Yeah, I'd love to too, mate. I mean, it's a great, it's so cathartic and it's perfect. That's why I was thinking, you know, uh, um, I wrote Jamie a little poem that night, actually. I gave him the Fuck the Tories poem I wrote, but um, he probably ain't going to use it, so I might use it. Yeah, you need to get that out there, because, I mean, I've never seen that. I'd love to see that somewhere. Yeah. One of your singles or something. Yeah, maybe a single, Fuck the yeah. Uh, so, obviously, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're a busy man, you get stuff to do. No, uh, so, I just got another call, that's all. Uh, so, obviously, the podcast called Time for Heroes. I uh, asked my guests to pick four heroes, dead or alive, to come for dinner. Um, so, who would you pick and why? And what would you oh. cook them as well? Oh, my God, what would I cook them? Like, yeah. yeah, that's a good well, I was thinking about this, mate. I, by the way, mate, I've loved chatting with you. It's, oh, it's been it's, brilliant, man. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, man. Yeah, mate, it's great, man. We'll have to think about, we'll have to pull some strings to see if we can get a few more tickets down in Glasgow, won't we? Yeah, After this yeah. podcast, mate, we'll be selling out the Barlands. Definitely, mate. The Barlands <laughs> is the place to go. I know, it's the one, in it? That's my dream, see, to play there with trampoline. But we've got to get, got to get through a few other venues first. My, oh my, well, I don't know if this is a bit of a cliche one, but I definitely put John Lennon in there. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think that he's, he's got the, one of the greatest, well, just the greatest voice. I think that early 60s John Lennon voice. Yeah. It's just the greatest voice that ever happened and the, the greatest songwriter too. And I just think that he was just, I don't know, and his life is so conflicting and so fucking tragic and just, Jesus fucking hell, you know, it must be, imagine having him at the dinner table, it'd be like... Oh, it'd be God, why not? Yeah, exactly, God, he does feel like God, like Jesus plus, or something, doesn't he? Plus, I've seen pictures of him wearing a Celtic coat, so that does it for me as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, sorted, sorted. <laughs> So I'm trying to think of some more other, you know, interesting ones. So I'd probably pick um, another guy called John, but uh, John Frusciante. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know him. He's the guitarist from the yeah, Red yeah. Chili Peppers. Yeah. So I was obsessed with John Frusciante to like. Um, kind of astronomical levels. I wasn't even obsessed with the Chili Peppers. I was obsessed with him alone. Uh-huh. He's got this mad amount of solo work. And I reckon I must have been the only person in Swansea who was who, who was buying everything. He, he did like six albums in six months. on his, And he did all these mad solo things. And I loved it all. And, um, you know, anytime he had an album out, I had to order it to Swansea. I thought, I must be the only... He must look at his orders and see, who the fuck is ordering my record in that Swansea, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'd pick him as well. Uh-huh. And um, there's two Johns. And then if I was going to go another, I mean, the other two obvious ones would be Bowie and Marley or Kurt Cobain, I was thinking. But, um, I mean, I'll probably have to pick Bowie. Right. He's it's, quite a popular I, pack as well. Yeah, I bet you he's just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he's been, if he's picked a lot, maybe I won't pick him. But um, there's so much aspects to him though as well. That's so, he's, um, yeah. he's one of the guys that was able to change himself whenever he liked to be able to go different directions. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, 
bewildering, isn't it? What yeah. he did. But then again, um, so maybe, I mean, imagine sitting there with Bob Marley, though. Yeah, a good football I mean, fan as well. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll pick Bob for sure. But if I'm going to try and pick someone who's alive, who I think it'd be it'd be uh, I mean, I'd love to sit there with Jerry Cinnamon. That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> you, you must have a he's like a god up there for you, isn't he? Although yeah, the, yeah, yeah, to some again, another one that's hard to pin down for an interview. Yeah, I bet, mate. I mean, he fucking doesn't... He has to do three gigs a year and he's got his fucking house, rent, everything covered for 10 years, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I, uh... If I had to pick someone uh, just to throw... I was just going to throw something really random in there, like Kim Kardashian. (laughs) 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 Or Billie Eilish, maybe. I think she's awesomely talented. She's... Hearing her brother write really interesting songs. Damon Alburn could be a good one as well. Right. He's as mad as a box of frogs, isn't he? Yeah. How would that get in the next time you're supporting um Liam Gallagher? I, I think know. he'd probably I think he'd probably find it funny. Mm-hmm. He's 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 tongue in cheek and full of love, that lad. Yeah, yeah. he's misunderstood, aren't he, Liam? Oh yeah, completely. You know, he's he's tapped in you know he's got some sort of link to the ethereal universe that only he can see like he's he's a, he's like this uh zend out kind of monk like buddhist thing but like his decision making is really interesting i think and and the way he you know he's so good at selling himself i think brand liam he's number one he makes it he does it so well and Obviously, Noel's finding out the hard way just how absolutely yeah. inc- incredibly crucial and important he was to all his songs and to the whole image of the band, you know. I know it's mad, isn't it? Because Noel must just make, you know, just the money must just come streaming in for Noel. Yeah. But, um, Liam has to go out there and work, doesn't he? Yeah, and Although he loves he, it, you know what I mean? But it seems to be reborn the last like five, six years. Yeah. I mean, I've been lucky to spend so much time with him. One of my regrets, though. In fact, I'd probably put Liam on the table, actually. Right. So it'd be great to see him and John going. Oh, Christ, you went and got well done. In fact, I'll kick John for Shanty out. So I'll go John Lennon, Liam Gallagher, Bob Marley, and David Bowie. Jeez. Or maybe, no, not David Bowie, Kim Kardashian. <laughs> We'll put, I'll put the rest of them in as honorary mentions anyway. Yeah. Because um, what I'm going to do, this will be episode 41. So I'm planning oh, once, I get to, once I get to episode 50, I was going to do like a league table of whoever he's picked. Oh, wow, yeah. So I was speaking to somebody yesterday for like a Libertines blog, Edge, Edge of Arcady, and they're going oh, yeah. to come on. And, and they were asking, Who's been mispicked? And I said it's probably John Lennon. Yeah. And for understandable. Yeah. So what would you so what would you cook them on? I would cook them um a Welsh cowl. What's that? What's a Welsh cowl? So it's like a leek. It's like a um lamb leek potato, like this really wholesome soup. Right, kind of, kind of like a stew, really, like Welsh stew, but then they chuck blocks of cheese in it as well and have it with bread. Right, that so sounds make... that sounds amazing. Kind of like the what is it today in New Orleans? They did something like that with the soup with the bread, didn't they? So it's kind of like a Welsh version of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's cowl. I'd I'd make them a big cowl. I would. That's brilliant, and it's a wee a wee nod to your homeland as well. Yeah, exactly. And they can have Welsh cakes for dessert then. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I might come along to that as well because that sounds like a, a wild. Oh, mate, you're, 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 you're number one guest, mate. Number one invitation. Cool, man. Uh, but that, that's us then. That, that'll do us for the day. I don't want to keep you too long. I want to get a wee chat with you before, before I. Um, yeah, brilliant, man. Thank you so much, um, mate. 
Uh, absolute pleasure having you on, Jack. Thank you very much, and hurry back to Glasgow. Yeah, mate, I'll be there as soon as I can, man. Thank you so much for thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Pleasure. You're listening to the Time for Heroes podcast in association with the Songbird. Check it out. Martin, you're an absolute legend. What are you? An absolute legend. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes podcast, or on Instagram at Time for Heroes podcast, or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1, or drop me an email at Time for Heroes pod at gmail.com You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple, Google and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others and more importantly, enjoy. <laughs>